from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. This thought crossed my mind on the way up here this morning. I, I told you a few weeks ago, maybe even longer, that beginning on like Saturday morning, I just kind of constantly think through my sermon. And this morning, talking about to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. And I, I framed it in the study guide and the Facebook post and the emails in the context of social media. And as I was coming to church this morning, it just, it just popped into my mind. You know, 10 years ago, if you followed somebody, you would probably be put in jail, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if you think about it, you didn't go around asking somebody, well, who are you following? Well, I'm following so-and-so because that, that was akin to stalking and you would get in trouble. But now because of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and probably some others that I'm just not hip enough and young enough to know what they are anymore. You, you know, we, we're a following people. You get asked a lot of times, hey, who, who do you follow on those social media platforms? Which led me down another rabbit hole. I was curious to find out who the most followed person is across all platforms. And I, I was really curious to, to find out who it is. And I, I, does anybody want to just guess? I don't think you're going to guess who it is. Anybody just want to throw out a couple of guesses? Anybody? Uh, no, I don't even know who that is. Okay. Uh, it's a sports figure. Does that help any? It is not LeBron James. It is a sport that has two names, and we call it the wrong name. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a soccer player which we would call football. His name is Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, y'all, y'all may be familiar with him. Um, um, he is an incredible Portuguese soccer player. Now, this, this is what I find interesting. Now, this is across all platforms. Now, and you're going to go, well, Gary, those are probably duplicates. I, I understand that. I, I got it. He has 517 million followers. Okay. Now, before you, you go, well, I, I don't know. Let me put it, that's 7% of the population of the world <laughs> follows him on social media. I, I, can't, even, I can't even fathom that. Y- you know, to, to that many people interested in to, to know what you're doing every single day. You don't, he makes enough money, he don't need a GoFundMe. <laughs> But 517 million people follow him. Now, let me ask you this. What does it mean to follow him? All it took, because I think in the email I put it took absolutely nothing. I guess I need to take that back. It requires you to click your mouse, <laughs> right? That, that, that's all. Can we, and I think we can all agree that just to click a mouse for on Snapchat or Facebook, it, 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 that's, that's essentially nothing, right? It requires nothing of you to follow him to see what he's doing. Because he's not going to tell you to do something. You go, oh, well, he said, so I must. There, there's, no, there's no motivation. However, it's very different to follow Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, it's not a matter, and I probably should have clicked this, or searched this, and I'm glad I probably didn't in retrospect, just to click a button. I'm sure somebody out there has made a Jesus Facebook post or a Jesus Twitter account. Um, and, but I'm not talking about that if they exist. But to actually follow Jesus as a believer is, is much more than just checking a box. It requires something of us. 
So this morning, as we go to John chapter 1 and looking at verses 35 to 51, we're going to look at what it means to follow Jesus and what happens in the context where the first couple of disciples of Jesus are called. So beginning in verse 35 and following to the end of the chapter. The next day, again, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So this morning, I want you to just notice three things of what it means to follow Jesus. Now the first one means to follow Jesus means leaving what you know. Leaving what you know. If you're paying attention, John is taking us through the first week of Jesus' ministry. From when Jesus arrives on the scene, or when John the Baptist arrives, I guess I should say, he keeps talking about the day, then the next day, then the next day. He's going to take us through the first seven days. We're on day three. So on day three there in verse 35, it says, the next day, John was standing out there, and he was with two of his disciples. Okay, Now, we're told that one disciple is Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother, and the other disciple is not named. We don't really know who it is. You can make an argument for John, the author of the gospel, but we don't know who the other disciple is. He's not mentioned. But Andrew is there, and this other disciple is standing. They're standing there beside John the Baptist, and as soon as Jesus walks by, John the Baptist, again, looks at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. And we talked about that last week. John the Baptist is the only one to use that. Behold the Lamb of God. And look at what happens. As soon as John says that, it says in verse 37, the two disciples heard him, and they followed Jesus. They, they, they didn't hesitate. They immediately turned and started following after Jesus him. Now this is really interesting. And the reason I said means leaving what you know. These two disciples knew John the Baptist. 
And they thought they understood. You, you know, they were listening to John the Baptist and they were de de devoted to John the Baptist. But in that instant, when he declares to them that there is Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, they're going, okay, I've got to leave all this behind now because I've got to follow the one true living God. I've got to follow him. Later on in the verses, we see that Philip, the same thing happens to Philip. Philip turns and, and he just, he follows Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And Philip stops what he's doing. He turns from what he knows and he goes and he follows him. In the other gospel accounts where we see Peter and, and James and John, what are they doing? They're fishing. And Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And what do they do? They stop Everything that they're doing, they stop what they know and they follow Jesus. Because when they turn to, to follow Jesus, they're getting ready to follow Him into the great unknown. They don't know what's going to happen. Right? But Peter knew, as a fisherman, what would happen the next day. The next day, I've got to get up. I've got to get my nets mended. I need to be on the Sea of Galilee by this time. I need to go out to this part. I need to put down. I need to come in. I've got to get to the market by this point. He knew what was going to happen tomorrow in, in his role as a fisherman. But he said, as soon as Jesus comes out, I'm leaving all that behind. I'm going to follow him. Andrew leaves everything behind to follow him. Matthew, the tax collector, leaves everything behind, everything that he knows, to follow Jesus. You know, when we are called to follow Jesus there's some things that we have to leave behind. We just, we absolutely have to. Sometimes Jesus calls you to leave behind family who don't believe. Sometimes Jesus calls you to leave behind a job. You can't continue to, you can't follow Jesus and be in the job that you're in. Sometimes Jesus calls you to follow him and, and leave behind your country and your home place and go minister for him in another place. Jesus says, hey, you know what? I need you to follow me, and you're going to have to leave some stuff behind. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Comes out. Comes to Jesus. He says, what, what do I have to do? And Jesus' answer, you, you know, well, you've got to keep the law. And, and, and the rich young ruler is like, you know, I've kept all the law. I, I've, I've kept all, I've, I've done all this. Which, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? In front of Jesus, the rich young ruler says, i got this religion thing figured out, Jesus. I, I've got it down pat. Now, the amazing part of that answer is Jesus doesn't argue with him, right? Jesus looks at him and says, sell what you have and follow me. What, what is Jesus telling him? There's some stuff that, that, that's behind you that you, you've got to leave. You've got to leave what you know. Right now, you know following the law. You, you, you know how to take care of your money. You know how to take care of your estate. You've got to leave that behind, and you've got to follow me. And what does he do? He's not willing to leave that behind. That's all he knows. He doesn't want to follow Jesus. Because I think every one of us here this morning as a follower of Jesus can testify to the fact that Jesus has led us to some places we never thought we would be. Or places we never thought that we would go. And when you do that, you've got to leave behind the security and the comfort of what you know. 
Sometimes you've got to leave behind your preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. Because he's following you to do something that you didn't know that you would be capable of doing. And so to follow Jesus, sometimes we have to leave behind what we know. We also, to follow Jesus, means we've got to know why we're following. Right? Jesus walks by. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and another disciple immediately follow. They're walking behind Jesus, and Jesus just turns around and looks at them. And this is a great question. This is a, a question that, that everybody needs to answer. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Why are you following me? What are you looking for? Right? Why? They look at him and they, they say, Rabbi, and all these parentheses in the book of John is where John translates it basically for, out of the Hebrew for his Gentile audience. Because it says Rabbi, which means teacher. So if you're reading this as a Gentile and you don't know what a rabbi is, now you know what a teacher is. Okay, if you're reading this and you don't know what Cephas means, you know, all right, Peter. Okay, that, that's the parentheses. So they call him teacher and say, hey, you know, wh where are you staying? Now, that, that's a weird question. Right? What are you seeking? I don't know. Where are you staying? Well, I'm down the street. I'm, I'm staying at so-and-so's house, you know. They got a nice little place, an extra bedroom on the back that overlooks the, the ocean. And it's, it's comfortable. I'm staying down there for a couple weeks. It's, it's, it's a weird question. And the reason that they ask it is, is, is they're trying to figure out who Jesus is and why they want to follow him. Now, I mean, yes, John just told them, behold the Lamb of God. But they're, still, they're, they're trying to understand. They want to sit under his teaching and listen to him so that they know that they're following the Messiah, that they are, they are following the Christ. They want to devote their lives to Him. And so they're wanting to go and listen to His teaching. But that question, what are you seeking, is, is so fundamental when it comes to Jesus. And, and part of it is because far too often I think people see Jesus as a genie in the bottle. Right? We like Jesus, I need his help, so I'm going to come, I'm going to rub the lamp. Genie Jesus is going to jump out of the lamp. He, he's going to give me what I need. He's going to help me out of this difficult situation. Jesus, I, th this is so hard. I, I can't believe what's if If you will just get me out of this, Jesus, I promise that when I come out on the other side, I, I'll go to church more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll, I'll pray more, Jesus. Jesus, if you will just hear, let me just rub the lamp. If, Jesus, you will, then I will. Then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and, and, and Jesus, out of his grace and his mercy, pulls you out of whatever, and the next day, it's Sunday, and you're not in church. You forgot all about that commitment thing, right? Jesus is just, just, just a genie. Comes and gives us our wishes. To make our lives easy and, and, and not difficult. 
Some people just look at Jesus and think, oh, he's, he's a teacher who came and, and said some neat things and had some neat ideas. And, uh, you, you know, he was trying to destroy the established religion at the time, which isn't true. You, you know, they just see him as this, this nice little teacher. Okay, yeah, I can, I can love my, my neighbor because that sounds good. It sounds like something I ought to do. But, but that's all it is. You, you know, it's the same as going and picking up a self-help book somewhere, chicken soup for the soul or something, has no more authority than those books. So when we come to Jesus and we want to follow, we've got to know why we're following Him. Are we following Him because we think He's going to make our lives easier and He's just gives some nice little teaching? Are we following Him because He is the Lamb of God who's come to take away our sins? Are we following Him because He is Christ? Are we following Him because He is the one who created us? He is the one who put us here. And because of that, has the authority over our lives. Are we coming to Jesus, recognizing Him as Jesus is Lord? Because if, if we're not, I'm going to be perfectly honest, why bother? Uh, why buy, if, if we don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are the Messiah, you are the, the Lamb who died on the cross for my sins, I'm going to submit to you and to your authority, allow you to lead my life, guide my life, show me what I should do, show me what I shouldn't do, how I should structure my life, how, how to live for you, to acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life. And, and look, we need, to, we need to vastly broaden the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus isn't Lord of your life when you're at church. He is not Lord of your life in your spiritual life. He is Lord of your life in every single component and facet of your life. There is no compartmentalization as a follower of Christ. There is nothing that you can divorce from being a believer in Christ. We come to Him and say, this is who you are. I am coming to follow you because you are Lord and you are worthy. We need to know why we're following. Because if we're following for any other reason than that, when we go and we rub the magic Jesus genie bottle, and genie Jesus doesn't come out, and our life doesn't get any easier, what then? What do you do then? Well, if you think that Jesus is just the magic genie in the bottle, you discard him with every other piece of information that somebody gave you that told you this would make it better. However, if you recognize that He is Lord and He is Christ, then you are able to endure whatever you rub the, the bot magic bottle for because you're still living under the Lordship of Christ and you know that even though it might not be easy, He is Lord of all and He, he is watching over you. And that whatever you're going through, He is going to bring you out on the other end. And your character is going to be refined. It gives you the ability to continue to follow, even when things are difficult. So we have to know why we're following. But then finally, following Jesus means pointing others to Jesus. It means pointing others to Jesus. Those who follow Jesus want others to share in Jesus' glory. 
It's just that simple. Did, did you see the pattern in these verses? Andrew, after spending the day with Jesus, right, he goes out in verse 41. He, meaning Andrew, first found his own brother. The first thing he did after spending the day with Jesus, he goes out and he finds his brother Simon. Now, I feel bad for Andrew. Andrew always gets second fiddle. Andrew is always, and I can't speak to this as an only child. Some of you will understand this more. Andrew is always related to Simon. He is always Simon's brother. Right? It, it never goes the other way. Those of you with sibling rivalries, y'all can, y'all can argue on the way home this afternoon or whatever. However, every time we see Andrew, he's going to get somebody else and bringing them to Jesus. He discovered the Messiah, and the first thing that he wants to do is he is so excited, he wants to go get his brother Peter. And he goes to Peter, and look at what he says. He says, we have found the Messiah. We, we, we found him. Come on, Peter. Come, come and see. We, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. Come on. I want, you to, I want you to see. I want you to share in this glory. And Simon does. Right? Simon gets up. He's like, okay, I'm interested. Let, let's go see. Andrew, you seem really enthused by this. You think you found the Messiah. I want to go with you. So, so Simon goes, and I, I love this interaction. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I read that because we know the rest of Peter's story, right? We, we, we know... Peter is the bless, bless your heart disciple, isn't he? Right? Well, Peter got out of the boat, bless his heart. Peter opened his mouth again, bless his heart. I mean, Peter's the bless your heart disciple. We know the rest of the story. And, and I, I just, I'm just sitting there thinking for a minute. Here comes Peter. That phrase, Jesus looked at him. What in the world is going through Jesus' mind? Right? What, what would have gone through your mind when you saw Peter? This big old burly fisherman probably smelled, probably had fish guts all over him, standing right there before him. And, and Jesus looks at him and sees Peter and knows Peter, all his faults, everything that's going to happen. And he looks at him and says, Peter, we're, we're, your name's now going to be Simon. You're going to be Cephas. Changes his name. Because as Jesus stands there and looks at Peter standing before him, Jesus can look at him, look at Peter, and can look at us and see not what we are in just standing before him, but at the same time see what we can become through Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter. He can see into Peter's heart, and he knows what Peter is going to become. He knows how he's going to lead Peter and turn him into from Peter the fisherman to, to the Peter who will make the declaration in Matthew 16, you are Christ the Son of the living God. The Peter who preaches on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 are, are saved and, and the one who takes the, the gospel to the Gentiles. But standing there before him in that moment, because we know the rest of the story, we're thinking, what does Jesus see? And Jesus sees who Peter's going to become. Just like he looks at us. He knows who we're going to become, not in our own power, but who we're going to become in Christ. And we know this is true, right? Because we know the rest of the story, but also we read the books of 1 and 2 Peter, not the books of 1 and 2 Simon. 
So immediately, Andrew goes and, and, and gets his brother. He goes and gets Simon, and Peter comes. And then we're told in verse 43, the next day, so we're now on day four, Jesus is in Galilee. He found Philip. He said to Philip, follow me. Philip leaves what he knows behind, follows Jesus. And what does Philip do? Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Same thing. He is shared in the glory of Christ. Now he wants to go and, and find Nathaniel and tell him. He's like, look, look, come on. I know who it is. And in words very similar to Andrew's, he says, look, we have found the one that the law and also the prophets wrote about. We, we have found the one, this, this, this Jesus of Nazareth. We found him, all the disciples, all, all the prophets, all the prophecies. We, we found him. We know who he is. Now, let's go see. Nathaniel was, was, was a little bit hesitant. And I think part of Nathaniel's hesitancy is, look, look at how, how Philip describes Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? All the prophecies had Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Now, we know that. So why is he from Nazareth? He grew up in Nazareth. This is like Ben, okay? Ben was born in, in Machias, but you ask anybody who is from Maine, they will tell you that he is not from Maine. Ben is from Thomasville, all right? So he, he, he's, he's been the Thomasvilleite, okay? We, we understand this. At the same time, what we need to understand is Jesus is never called Jesus the Bethlehemite. He's always called Jesus the Nazarite, Nazarene. He's from Nazareth, okay? And at that moment, Nathaniel decides to show a little bit of, you can call it prejudice, you can call it um, town rivalries, call it what you want. Because he looks and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? All right, Nazareth basically is the backwoods town in the backwoods county. Right? Could anybody? And, and, and we all have a city like that. I, I, I can't, this is being recorded. I can't tell you if you live in Thomasville which city that is, but I'll let you figure it out geographically speaking. But we all have one, right? Can anything good come out of that town, that place? Now, what I find interesting here is look at what Philip does. What is Philip's response? Philip looks at him in verse 47. Whoops, excuse me. Looks at him in verse 46 and just simply says, Come and see. Come and see. I find it interesting that Philip does not launch into a theological argument. He does not try to show all the prophecies and go back to all the Old Testament and, and, and trace Jesus' lineage and, 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 and just get into all these theological debates. He simply says, come and see Jesus. Now, I think that's a good, good for us as well. Right? I, I mean, and I'm not saying that there are not times and places where we do not discuss and debate the theological aspects of Scripture, right? Peter writes to us, be ready to give a defense for your faith. So we need to be ready. But in this initial, Philip goes to get Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, it's Nazareth, wrong city, it's backwards, nothing good. Philip's answer is, look, just come and see. Come and see Jesus. 
Because most people are convinced of the lordship and supremacy of Jesus when they are simply challenged with who Jesus is. When they are simply just confronted by Jesus. Not some clever theological argument. It's a matter of come and see. Come see the one who the prophets have written about. Come see the one that has declared he is the Savior of the world. Come and see the one who died on the cross for your sin. Come and see the one who rose again. Hey, I know you got questions. They're probably good questions. Come and see. Just, just come and see. Which wins Nathaniel over, right? Nathaniel gets up. He's walking towards Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, Look, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. It's a, it's a great, it's not really a play on words. It's not really a pun. I, I don't know what it is. It, basically, Jesus is looking at him. And if you think back to the Old Testament, think back to the Old Testament person of Israel. Before he was Israel, he was what? He was Jacob. And so basically, Jesus is looking at Nathaniel and says, look, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. There, there's not a deceiver in there. An honest person. Right? Come and see the Messiah, and immediately Jesus confronts Nathanael. And when he says, I see, there's a person with no deceit. Nathanael is intrigued. And he says to him, how do you know me? He says, before Philip called you, I saw you underneath the fig tree. I, 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 I saw you. Now again, just like Jesus looked at Peter, just like here he sees Nathaniel, it is more than just physical sight. Did Jesus see him? Yes. But it's more. Right? Because in both of those cases, Jesus again, once again, looks into Nathaniel and can see Nathaniel for who he is, not just where he was sitting. Again, it... it same thing with Jesus sees us. He sees us for who we are. And with that declaration of, look, I saw you, it says Nathaniel again, when he is confronted with Jesus, he says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Everything that Philip said about you is right. You are who you say you are. And how did he get there? He got to that part because Philip came and got him. Otherwise, he would have fell asleep underneath the fig tree. Do you see the pattern here? The pattern for believers is to go, once we are a believer and confronted with Christ, to go and tell somebody and say, come and see, and they come and they see. That is the pattern of the church since the founding of the church. A believer telling a believe, someone who becomes a believer who tells someone who becomes a believer and so on and so on and so on. And if you think about it, it was because of that process that, some, that you came to Christ. That someone who was confronted with the glories of Christ wanted you to be confronted with the glories of Christ and realize who He was. And you did. And so if we're following Jesus, we got... To tell people, come and see. But what are they coming to see? Well, look at the rest of the conversation with Nathaniel. 
says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? Truly, truly. All right. Jesus says, amen, amen. Verily, verily. The actual word is amen. Amen, amen. Verily, verily. He says this often. It's, it's pay attention. What I'm about to say is really important. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That immediately takes us back to Genesis 28. Okay? Genesis 28, Jacob, right, having a dream. He has a dream, and while he was out there, he's sleeping, the sun had set, and it says in verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood over and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took up the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Right there. He called the place Bethel, which means the house of God. The dream that Jacob has is a messianic expectation. When the world will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel has the 12 tribes. You have Judah, right? And then you track down through Judah and you have David, and you track down through the kings, and you eventually you get to Jesus. The way that Jacob, offspring, will bless the entire family, bless the entire earth, is through Jesus. Jacob doesn't know all of this yet. But he knows at that place that he has had a dream, and this is Bethel, this, this, this is the house of God. Back to John 1. Jesus says to Nathanael, you will see heaven open, angels in ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And in that sentence, the word you is important because all of a sudden it's on the plural. So Jesus is talking not just to Nathanael, but for all to hear and understand. And Jesus is looking at Nathanael and saying, I am the ultimate revelation I am the one that was spoke of in Genesis 28. I am Bethel. I am the house of God. You think that you have seen the the, the one Moses and the prophets predicted. 
You think that you have seen the Messiah. You think that you have seen the King of Israel. You think you have seen the, the, the Son of God. And yes, Nathaniel, all of those are true, but you're going to see more than that. You're going to see so much more because I am the house of God. I am God in human flesh. I am Bethel. And so Jesus is looking at Nathaniel, who was brought by Philip, and is telling Nathaniel that that's the offer that is being extended to everyone. To come and to live in the presence of God. To come and abide in Jesus. To come and abide in Him who is Bethel, the house of God. Nathaniel doesn't, I mean, Nathaniel, I'm sure, wasn't thinking this is where he's going to end up. He was sitting under a fig tree. But now all of a sudden, because Philip was confronted with who Jesus was and wanted Nathaniel to see and brings him in, Jesus now tells Nathaniel, everything that you know, everything that you know about Messianic prophecy is being fulfilled in me, and I now am the house of God. And what needs to be told, what the world needs to hear, is to follow me, is to abide in me. Because I am Bethel, I am the house of God. That's such a simple message that people need to be confronted with. You know, and to follow Jesus means we need to tell other people that. We need to point other people to Jesus. Because He is the one, the only one that can bring people into the presence of God because he himself is the very presence of God. He is the one in the end who we will abide in and live for forever and ever and ever. And Jesus, though not commissioning them with, with exact words, looks at him and says, now, just wait. You're going to see so much more. You know, that's what it means to follow Jesus. We've got to leave some stuff behind. We've got to know why we're following. We've got to point others to Him so that they can be captured by the glory of Christ just like we are. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website, at www.redbankmbc.com If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.